Hey, Scene Vault listeners, are you a NASCAR collector? Well, we've got two great magazines for you. First up, we've got the 75 Greatest Drivers. Last season, NASCAR added 25 drivers to its Greatest Drivers list to celebrate their diamond anniversary, and we partnered with them to help tell their legendary tales. This 116-page magazine is packed with the stories that made each of these drivers the greatest we have ever seen. Printed in full color on glossy paper and delivered to fans inside a poly bag to protect its contents, this magazine will sit on the coffee tables of NASCAR fans for years to come. There are also several different covers to collect, including unique designs for Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, and more. We've also got a few remaining copies of the 75th Anniversary Magazine, featuring hundreds of pages of photos, profiles, iconic stories, and much, much more covering every single year of NASCAR. Both of these are shipping in high-quality poly bags to protect your collector's item. Get yours today at dailydownforce.com shop. That's dailydownforce.com shop. Hey, y'all. Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. You know, I think they were, they had, the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, dailydownforce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item packed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com.
Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by QWare. Maintain excellence. I thought it was a fantastic race right up until the last, what, 100 yards or so. Yeah. And so I was actually in the room when the doctor told him that the next few hours are going to be critical. If that car is going 300 miles an hour and it gets upside down, it's in the grandstand. And if it's in the grandstands, let's That's start it. talking about golf. It's yeah. all over. That is not an easy thing to do. You cannot really come up with the right words. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault podcast presented by QWare. And Steve, this week we had already recorded the week's episode, and I had worked on editing the sound right up until the race resumed late on Monday afternoon. And I, to be honest with you, I thought it was a great race. A lot of I drama. Thought it was very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, great racing side by side, obviously. And I thought it was a fantastic race right up until the last, what, 100 yards or so. Yeah. When Ryan Blaney and Ryan Newman got together as they came to the checkered flag. And Steve, uh, that looked terrible. Then to see those screens yeah. go up, that, that, was, that, that was pretty bad. That sent a chill through everybody. And you know what they were thinking of at that time, of course. After that happened and all the reaction that that got, I didn't feel comfortable posting an episode where you and I joke around and cut up like we do most every week. And this week, I just wanted to get together again and talk about Ryan, talk about the accident and kind of some of the reaction that has happened since then. So, Steve, the next two or three hours were pretty tough as we kind of waited on word. Yeah. about Ryan's condition. And finally, Steve O'Donnell sat down in the media center and announced that Ryan was in serious condition, but with non-life-threatening injuries. You could not have heard better words at that point in time. No, you could Uh-uh. I mean, you know, everybody was speculating, is this another Dale Earnhardt accident? Please don't let it be that. And until Steve O'Donnell said those words about a non-life-threatening injury... Things were tense, very tense. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Probably the biggest reaction for me was some pretty substantial flashbacks to the years 2000 and 2001, which were absolute nightmares. And we've talked on the podcast before about the fact that I was in New Hampshire when Adam Petty lost his life, and I talked to him that morning. And then all of a sudden, Monday night, I was right back there in that media center waiting on word and I remember calling my wife and and getting her off the bench you know we kind of have a code Mm -hmm. that was before cell phones so I called and left a message with her secretary and I said tell Jeannie to call me now Mm. when I talked to Jeannie I kind of broke down and told her what had happened and then kind of being by myself that weekend I was the only reporter there that was the weekend that I went from being a golly gee whiz, this is awesome motorsports reporter right. to being a journalist. I was placed in that position that I had to not only cover the race, but also get the reaction of the motorsports community mm-hmm. in the garage and everything to what had happened with Adam. Well, I have been in the same situation you have many times in the past, I regret to say. Now, I had not seen all the accidents per se, that caused yeah. The, yeah. the deaths. But 
I still had to report on right. the desk. Yeah. And that is not an easy thing to do. You cannot really come up with the right words. You find yourself just printing the facts. Uh, it's pretty stale stuff, but it's still the facts. And all you want to do is get it over with because you feel so bad. Steve, you and I talked before we started recording. You have been around and you have actually been at the track for a number of fatalities. And I know that you covered Mike Rich. I know that you covered Terry Schoonover. Yeah. Uh, you were there when Neil and Rodney lost their lives. To be honest with you, though, the accidents that took Neil and Rodney, they took place before I got into the sport full time. So I didn't know them personally. I did not know Rodney, but of course I knew Neil very well. And Neil, in 1994, was trying to come back into racing. Yeah. He had suffered a pretty good injury in an accident at uh, Darlington a few years before, and it caused him to lose his memory and uh, dizziness, but he got over that. He was working in television during that break. And he was one of the best. Exactly Man, he was awesome in that It was great. Yeah. Great. He got an opportunity to run six races. In 1994 with James Finch. Yeah. And at practice for the Daytona 500, a shock mount broke. He lost control of his car. I believe it was in the fourth turn. Did not see the accident itself, but things grew very, very quiet Mm -hmm. in the garage area. Yeah. No one was working. That was an ominous sign. I met both Deb Williams and Tom Stinson, both of them working for scene at the time, at the entrance to the garage area. And what we did, we stood there and came up with a game plan as to how to cover this incident. Now, that might sound a little bit cold, but you kind of do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. You yeah, report. Absolutely. It's your yeah. job. Yeah. And so we split up our assignments and went around uh, trying to accomplish them the best we could. It was a little bit late before anyone really knew that Neil had passed because The story goes, NASCAR was trying to find his wife, Susan, and I think they did, and she was on her way down. Yeah, she was actually driving from Alabama to Florida. And before, you know, she got there, they had to find a way to contact her. When they finally got on a hold of Susan, that's when we finally learned that Neil had lost his life. And that's when we set about doing our jobs, and that was not pleasant. Well, I got to tell you, that whole weekend in New Hampshire is a blur. I remember hearing in the media center that Adam had crashed, uh, went out to between turns three and four and kind of watched as they tried to get him out of the car. And other than that, man, the whole weekend yeah. is just a I'm just sure. a absolute blur. I'm sure. I will say this. When Rambo was on the show last week, after we stopped recording, he told me about everything that had happened that day. Herzog Motorsports was actually parked right next to Adam's team. When the accident happened and it was announced what had happened with Adam, Tony actually went to Chris Hussey, who was Adam's crew chief at the time, and said, you guys go. And so the Herzog Motorsports crew actually took care of packing everything up and loading it into the Petty Enterprises hauler. So, I, you know, that's when the camaraderie comes out. And Tony Rambo had actually said, you know, before the accident, he had been giving Adam a hard time about getting into Jimmy, I guess, I I want to say Rockingham, Darlington, a few weeks before. And so Rambo being Rambo, he was busting on Adam. 
like I said, I didn't know Neil. I didn't know Rodney. And so I don't think that it sunk in. And then when I went to work for Scene, 1997, I became the Bush Series and Craftsman Truck Series editor. And, of course, that was the year that John Nemechek lost his life at Homestead. I, went, I actually went to his funeral mm. in Florida. And still, I don't know that the, the danger of the sport sunk in. And then 1999, Milwaukee, Jeff Krogh got in an accident that week. He and his brother Mark were racing out of the old Junior Johnson shops. Okay. In Inglehalla. Yeah. Where Junior Johnson made his name, mm-hmm. where he built that team. And all those championships were won out of those shops. And Jeff and Mark were running their race team out of that shop. And Jeff and Mark had both been over to the house. He got in this accident, and I went to the hospital. And Steve, I, I don't know that I've ever told this story, but I was actually in the waiting room with his family when the doctor came in, and I got up to leave. And they said, no, it's okay, you stay. And so I was actually in the room when the doctor told him the next few hours are going to be critical. That was eye-opening, to be sure. You know, sometimes it's difficult to put this in words, but you do the job that we do, and when an accident happens, you say to yourself, oh, Lord, either I hope he's not hurt, please don't let him be dead, or this sounds cold, but oh, my gosh, i got a terrible assignment here that I've got to do. Yes, sir. Yeah. In my case, that's happened several times. I recall one time when Bobby got in that very serious accident at Pocono yeah. that ended his career. Yeah. We didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. Went to the hospital in Allentown to try to get some work because he was still alive at the hospital at that time. And we were told, thankfully, that it looked like he was going to make it. And that was great. But you're right. You're put, you are really put in a difficult position. I just wonder how many people out there who think they could be journalists and might want to be journalists have to understand something so very true about the sport of racing. It is dangerous. And at any given moment on the track, anything could happen. Steve, situations like this always seem to bring out the best and the worst in people. I remember being at Michigan during practice qualifying and a driver by the name of Gary Layton was in a crash and they had to pull him out of the car. And for a while there, his life kind of hung in the balance. And as long as I live, I will never forget. There was a reporter there from a local paper and she actually made the comment. If he's going to die, I wish he would go ahead and die because I've got a deadline to meet. Oh, you're kidding me. No. No. And that was just unreal. I mean, my mouth dropped. I mean, I could not, I could not imagine. Well, I can imagine your reaction. <laughs> and then Monday, the reaction on social media. I was really kind of proud of the press corps as a whole, the regulars. You had Kelly Crandall. You had Matt Weaver. You had Bob Pockris. You had Jeff Gluck. Yeah. And they were all tweeting we're not going to report on anything except yeah. official announcements. So we are that. not going to speculate. I saw that. That was the right thing to do, by the that way. That was absolutely the right thing to do. But in the days since, there have been friends of friends of friends <laughs> of friends who have evidently had some kind of connection to somebody on the team or 
family members or whatever, and they are quote unquote reporting on his injuries. And to me, that's a huge ethics violation. Well, I would agree. Because that's a huge privacy issue. Right. Oh, the thing about social media is the key word, social. That means everybody can participate, and you're not going to like a lot of what you read. And sometimes you're going to react. I can tell you another situation that was just as bad and in some ways offensive. Back in 2001 when Dale passed, the social media was not prevalent. Right. And you still talk to people face-to-face <laughs> and yeah, things of that yeah, nature. Yeah. But there was an individual who was trying to get a hold of Dale Earnhardt's autopsy photos. Everybody knew why he wanted them. They were going to go out in the cyberspace and everybody could Well, naturally, there was a huge outcry against right. this. Yeah, yeah. And the guy even went to court and tried to convince the judge that he should be able to do this. And, of course, he did not win, obviously. But that reflects the lengths some people will take to do what they want to do, print what they want to print, say what they want to say, and have absolutely no feelings about the people who are family members, who are friends, and who are suffering in the entire situation. (laughs) I don't know if this individual with the autopsy photos is the same person, but I think he might be the person who came into the media center the day after Blaze Alexander was killed. And we've talked about that. I've written about it in the 2001 Daytona 500 book, but he actually came into the media center and was laughing about Blaze Alexander. He actually had the nerve to say, oh, Billy Francis killed another one. I know who you're talking about. It's not the same individual, but okay. it's All the right. same well, attitude. He said that. <laughs> And Steve, I had an out-of-body experience. I mean, I think you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to lose my head and shout and scream and cuss and everything. Well, when he said that, I was sitting across the media center, and I started screaming at him. I said, shut your blankety-blank mouth, or I'll shut it for you, and have a little bit of blankety-blank respect for the guy. And he was screaming back at me, who are you? And if we had been close to each other, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that can, one of us would have took, taken that, a swing. Right? I but, understand that. You know, there I was cussing him like there was no tomorrow. And everybody knew me as the nice, clean-cut Christian guy, <laughs> the MRO guy. <laughs> and I will never forget, before he came in, I had been sitting at my desk, and Bambi Mattia, who was one of our photographers at the time, she had been standing there, and we'd been talking about some photo that I needed or whatever. And when I started screaming at this guy, Bambi's eyes got a, as big around as manhole covers. <laughs> and I remember, I'll never forget her taking a couple of steps back. but Steve that was just a sign of that time that that entire press corps was under so much pressure the years 2000 2001 those were some bad times absolutely really bad times now getting back to social media overall I was pretty proud of the reaction on social media everybody asking for prayers and but there were a few that, you know, maybe kind of prove that the First Amendment isn't all that it's cracked up to be. (laughs) There was one in particular that actually had the nerve to say that because Ryan Newman had evidently expressed some kind of support for Donald Trump, that he basically had this coming. He deserved some bad karma. Good grief. 
I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, conservative, this liberal, stuff has whatever. No business in going on. I mean, it's just it's totally ridiculous. Yeah, and that was obviously a crazy thing to say. But I also thought that it was funny on the other side of the fence. You had people going back at him and basically cussing this person, but in the very same tweet saying that they were going to be praying for Ryan Newman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that kind of mixes, but <laughs> I do know some church members like that. But hey, you know. <laughs> well, back to the point I think you're trying to make is the fact that anybody who can sit there and bring politics, yeah, in any, any situation, Ryan's or anybody else is involved in this, yeah, has yeah. got it's just I have no words. I have no words. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing that this year's Daytona 500 drove home is the fact that safety was, is, and always will be a huge factor Absolutely. in this sport. Consider that what happened in the year 2000 and 2001, and then what happened in this year's Daytona 500. The difference is, thankfully, Ryan Newman was able to utilize yes. all the yeah. safety yeah. Yeah. you know, advances that have been made since the start of the 2000s and that had a large role in probably saving his life yes it did and i thought it was kind of ironic that tuesday was february 18th and that was the 19th anniversary of the 2001 daytona 500 and because of everything that had happened the year before and in the 2001 daytona 500 and with blaze alexander later in 2001 in the charlotte arca race Steve, I got to tell you, I believe that we had maybe kind of sort of lulled ourselves into a false sense of security. That may well be true because of all the safety advancements we made to the tracks and to the cars. We've come to accept the fact that drivers might be so safe, there really isn't going to be much of a problem. Let me tell you something. As long as a car goes fast. Yes. And as long as a car goes 200 miles an hour at a two and a half mile track, there are going to be problems. It's inescapable, and you have to understand that. Steve, I went to breakfast this morning at my usual hangout in the mornings, and, of course, the conversation was about Ryan Newman, and there was one guy sitting there. (laughs) We've all heard it before from a million different people. Sure. But he was sitting there, and he was saying, they need to take them damn restrictor plates off, and I don't care if they run 300 miles an hour. Let's see who has the biggest balls. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, race. Sure, yeah. yeah. Now, uh-huh. he didn't bring out the old candy-ass line, but that's the same mindset. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I actually told him, I said, if that car is going 300 miles an hour and it gets upside down, it's in the grandstands. And if it's in the grandstands, let's that's start it. talking about golf. It's yeah, all over. It's game over yeah. at that point. So I do think that we have lulled ourselves into a false sense of security. This sport is still very dangerous. I think that there's some things that they could do to maybe make it a little bit less so, this whole blocking thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, The the yellow line is one thing. I think you've got a point there. Yeah. Uh, I think that they need to somehow take a look at at all the blocking that's going on. The yellow line rule, do away with that. I mean, if they can make a pass in the grass going through the infield, that's fine. But, again, this is not a situation where it's a video game, and when you crash, you just hit reset. Yeah. Uh, it's not no, a simulator. Not. When you crash, you hit reset, you get Danger a new car. Danger is inherent in auto racing. That's yes. all there is to it. Now, the 
Advancements made in safety all the way around are great, and they have made the sport safer. But I'm telling you, nothing they do or anybody else does is going to make it perfectly safe. That's not happening. You got a car at 200 miles an hour, and there's 42 or 43 or 34 or whatever you want out there with them, that particular car, things can happen. It's the law of physics. You touch this guy here, his car is going to turn around. You touch this guy there, his car is going to go airborne. All these things can happen. And because things can happen that are not good things, I think that's the proof that we can never, ever, ever take our eyes off the prize of safety. I agree with you. You know, everybody has theories. Everybody says this is what we need to do. That's what we need to do. There are bazillion theories sure. about what can happen. But as long as you go 200 miles an hour. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So, Steve, I think that it was appropriate for us to sit down and sure. talk about these kinds of things. And certainly our prayers are with Ryan. Our thoughts are with him. Absolutely. Now, we will be back next week with the last part of our interview with Kyle Petty and a look at our Wednesday Cup scene issue of the week. So we'll see you next week.